0: Let's pray. Father God, we want to thank you for your presence. We are changed in your presence. We cannot remain the same when we meet with you. Your presence demands change. This morning, as we, as we sit under your word, as we sit being mindful of your presence, aware of your presence, we ask you, Father God, that you would come and do what only you can do, that you would come and speak to our hearts, that you would come and minister to us. Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, get our attention this morning. Get our attention, Holy Spirit, on the things that matter to the Father that we would not live with, with, with what matters to you in our peripheral vision, but that we would live with what matters to you in focus this morning. I pray for upper room. I pray for myself here this morning. Let me be arrested. Let me be captivated. Let us be captivated by what is burning on your heart this morning. Strip off us every lie of the enemy. Strip off us every obstacle, every distraction of the enemy. That Christ will be be known better this morning in our hearts, I pray. Holy Spirit, won't you come and move amongst us? Won't you come and speak to us? Won't you come and fill us with truth? The truth of this gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to start. Jared, you were, you were standing at the back there. You look like a bodyguard, bro. I mean, what can I say? <laughs> I heard a story this week. I was listening to a message and I heard the story and I just thought I have to share it. Just uh, bringing our attention to the fact that God calls us to be a people that build our lives upon His Word, build our lives upon what He has said to us in Scripture, not, not washing around, wandering. Uh, drifting unsure but no actually building our lives upon that which is unshakable the word of God tells us that he doesn't change like shifting shadows he remains the same but so much of the church today is walking around shifting and and changing and chopping and unsure and all of this and like what Steve was saying unaware of what God has spoken over us we need to return to his word amen and so I, was, I, I, I heard this story, it's, it's the story of a pastor that was invited to go and have a, a meal with a couple in the church. And, uh, and they had a lovely evening, and around halfway through their, their, their meal, the pastor took a spoon and he hid it. And only the, only the wife of this, of this couple, or only the wife saw him take the spoon. And she was like shocked, she was horrified that this pastor stole her spoon. Didn't say anything, the pastor left, and as he, as he drove out, she looked at the husband and she said, did you see that? Saw what? The pastor stole my spoon, one of my spoons, and this, this thing just bugged her, bugged her every single day, the pastor, he would stand up in the, on a Sunday, he would preach, and all that she could see was the standing spoon <laughs> preaching, and she would drive in the car and she would just, she would be reminded of the spoon, the pastor stole my spoon. And a year later, the same pastor came over for dinner, and uh, she couldn't help. She couldn't help herself. Right at the end of the dinner, she, uh, she said, listen, I, I've, I've got to get something off my chest. There's, there's this thing that's bugging me, and it's really hindering me, even in my walk with the Lord. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, I'm listening, I'm listening. And he, she, uh, she said, can I ask you, the last time you came, did you steal my spoon? He said, no, I put it in your Bible a year ago. I put it in your Bible. And friends, that is how we treat God's Word. It's, we, we run to His Word when we, when we need Him. We run to His Word when it matters. And I, just, I have this strong sense as an eldership even, I just said to, I said to the guys, we have to, we have to as a people, be a people that have His Word in front of us. We have to return to His Word. We have to build upon His Word. Amen. It can't just be once a year when the pastor comes to visit, Pete comes to visit, that we turn to God's Word. No, we build our lives upon His Word. Amen? And so this morning, I'm not talking about the importance of God's Word. I just thought it was a good story to get your attention. But I have entitled my message, Eyes for the Harvest. Eyes for the Harvest. And this whole week, I've had a burning in my heart. Not just this week, for the last couple of weeks now, but it's just increasing. And I know what some of you may be thinking. You may be thinking, Anton, can we maybe move on now? Can you maybe talk about something else? No. I want to talk about this until we get it as a community. My title, Eyes for the Harvest. Continuing this little series that I started a couple of weeks ago on living simply and loving sincerely. And I've probably also got it wrong because Luke has so confused me, but you get the point. But it's this. It's God has called us to love Him with all of our hearts, with all of our minds, with all of our strength. And God has called us to love others in the same way that we love ourselves. And I feel like God is calling the church's attention to look, to look, to look at the harvest that is ripe, to look at the harvest that is ready. And so this morning I'm going to start by reading just this passage of Scripture in Matthew chapter 9. So if you do have your Bible with with you, please turn turn with me there in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. I'm starting to hear more more pages in upper room, not clicks. And I like that. I like that. Matthew chapter 9 verse 35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, preaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming, proclaiming the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. I love that. I love the fact that Jesus had a show-and-tell ministry. He wasn't just all words and no action. No, when Jesus spoke, He also demonstrated. And I feel like God is calling the church back to not just speaking, but actually demonstrating kingdom power every single day. Amen. Not just the people that sing about Him, not just the people that write clever poems about Him, but actually a people that proclaim the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, but actually follow through with an act of kingdom power and demonstration over sickness and disease. Jesus is our ultimate model because Jesus is perfect theology. Amen? Love that. I want to read it again. Proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing and healing... Every disease and sickness. When when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's a prayer point. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out, other translation says, to cast out workers into his harvest field. It's a sobering passage of Scripture. It's sobering because I believe nothing has changed. The harvest is still plentiful. The need is great. I like how Eugene Peterson puts it. He says this. He says the same passage. When... Jesus looked out over the crowds. His heart broke. Jesus' heart broke. Jesus was moved with compassion. What does it look like for someone to be moved with compassion? There's emotion. What does it mean to be moved with compassion? It means there's tears. There's a genuineness of of. Of, of, of hurting and a heartbrokenness as Jesus viewed the crowds that were hurting, the crowds that were lost, the crowds that were broken, that were wandering around aimlessly like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus's heart broke. My question today is this, is, is does the church's heart break when they look over the harvest field? Does the church's heart is our hearts moved when we are looking at the world that we are living in? And I want to say to you this morning that I believe Jesus' heart broke. Jesus' heart was moved with compassion as He looked over the crowds for one reason and one reason only. Because Jesus, as He looked over the crowds, over the harvest field, He heard the heartbeat of His Father. And it was a heartbeat of longing. It was a heartbeat of brokenness over what God created, the people that He created, those that He loved most and loves most, He's broken over them. I'm here to stir you up this morning. I'm here to offend you this morning. I'm here to provoke you this morning and shake you out of a spiritual slumber so that we can see the harvest field the way that Jesus saw the harvest field and sees the harvest field. Amen? And I'm not going to apologize for being passionate. He is passionate for me. He is passionate for you. And he sees you as valuable. And he sees those that are lost as valuable. But the church, do we see them as valuable? I don't know about you, but the more I get to know God, the more I get to love God, the more I get to know Him in my relationship with Him, the more I am aware or the more aware I become of the great need that there is for a Savior in this world to meet the sinner. Is it just me? I don't know about you, but the more I walk in relationship with Him, I'm experiencing His his restorative power in my life, I'm I'm experiencing His power in my heart. I'm I'm experiencing His healing over my body. I'm experiencing His salvation. I'm experiencing His mercy. And it's all great, but there's something else that I'm also experiencing. I'm experiencing a brokenness of heart as I view the world. I cannot help it. I cannot help but look at the lost and be moved. And I want to say to you, it's not just... For the evangelist, it's not just for those that are mercy-hearted to have a heart for the lost. No, it is for found sons and daughters to look at the harvest field and to be moved with compassion. It's a strange thing. I'm experiencing this, this incredible love of God, this power of God, but yet I feel broken inside. I feel broken inside. I feel broken inside. I'm moved and I've, I've tried to process this, and I've said, Lord, why am I experiencing this? And I feel it's this. I feel this is the reason. I've come to this conclusion that just because something is lost does not, ma- does not mean it's lost its value. Just because something is lost does not mean it's lost its value. Just because someone is lost does not mean they've lost their value. And that is why my heart is broken. Because if you get to know God, you get to know His heart. If you get to know His heart, you will be moved with compassion. The church over the decades have shown how they've lost focus the moment they become the center. The church has has demonstrated over the decades and over the centuries how they have lost focus and, in a way, lost their ways when. Their their self-preservation has become the focus over those that are lost. And friends, I want to say to us this morning, quoting the words of uh, David Livingston, the best diet to put a sick church on is a missionary diet. I want to suggest to you today, we need to be a people that are outward focused and not just inward focused. Because David Livingston wasn't talking about eating provitas. He was talking about rather looking outward, rather living for the sake of others. Imagine if Jesus lived for His sake. Where would we be? He lived for our benefit. And He's calling the church, His body, to model something of His life in this world. Amen? We cannot afford to be so inward focused that the lost, the broken, and the hurting is simply something in our peripheral vision. I want to tell you that the lost has never been in God's peripheral vision. It's always before Him. It's always before Him. They are always before Him. The harvest field has never been in God's peripheral vision. But sadly, this isn't always true in church history. When we we live our lives only for the benefit of me, myself, and I, guess what happens? We become sick, we become unbalanced in our view of the gospel. And Upper Room, God has not called us to live unbalanced in our view of this gospel, this wonderful gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. It's not just about us. It's about that world out there. Amen? Who's familiar with that song, History Maker, by Delirious? Familiar with it? One of the things that really got my attention about Ange was when we just met each other, she talked about History Maker all the time. And I realize she's serious about the things of God. But I believe this, that we've seen glimpses of what kingdom history makers look like in the past. Just glimpses of men and women that have been caught up by what matters to God, that have been caught up as they looked over the harvest field and their hearts were moved and their actions uh, changed the course of history. We've seen glimpses, glimpses of that. But I believe there's a, there's a greater, what can I put it? There's a greater, a greater a mass of crowds coming together as kingdom history makers because two key elements are coming out of the peripheral vision, out of our peripheral vision and actually into focus, and it's this. We are a people that love God with all of our hearts. We are a people that live for the benefit of others, that love people as we love ourselves. Amen? And so there's three there's three main areas of ministry that the believer is called to be a part of. And I want to just quickly mention them. The first area of ministry that we are called to is this is that we are called to minister unto the Lord. To minister unto him, to love him, to walk in relationship with him. And the amazing truth is this is that we will always become like that which we worship. Because we are changed in His presence. We will reflect His glory. We will reflect His presence. Like someone once said, you will always emanate the realm that you are mostly familiar with. What realm are you mostly familiar with? Are you more familiar with this earthly realm than the realms of God? The presence of God? Because you will become like that realm. You will become like that person that you are spending time with. And so the first area of ministry that God has called upper room to is that God has called us to minister unto Him, to love God. Just tell the person next to you, you are called to love God. Just remind the person. You are called to love God. The second area of ministry is this. You are called to minister to God's people, the church. You are called to love the fellowship of believers. You are called to walk with one another. As iron sharpens iron, to grow with one another, to love one another, to spur one another on. That is an area of ministry that you are called to. And I think you need to remind yourself of this. Say, I am called to minister to upper room. room. Amen? And then the third area of ministry And probably the most neglected area of ministry for the believer is this, is that we are called to minister to the world. And this is interesting. It's so interesting. Number one, we are called to minister unto the Lord. Now listen carefully what I'm going to to tell you now. We, as believers, have the honor and the privilege and the incredible reality every single day, the moment we get saved, to walk in this beautiful relationship with God, to experience His presence, to experience His presence in this life, but also in the life to come. For all eternity, we have an opportunity to minister unto the Lord. For all eternity, all eternity. The heavenly hosts sing holy, 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 holy holy they bow down holy 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 have you ever asked why they sing this over and over and over because every time they look up and they see something of his presence his glory they cannot help but bow down again and say holy and this carries on for eternity eternity over and over why because every time you look up every time you see him there's another dimension of his glory revealed to us We can worship Him for all eternity. We can minister to Him for all eternity. The second area of ministry is to believers. Guess what? If you are a believer, you're going to see me for all eternity. There's not marriage in heaven. For all eternity, we will be together. For all eternity, I will, I will rub shoulders with people that I love in Malawi. For all eternity, I will rub shoulders with people in Nicaragua that I've never met in my life, but guess what? They're brothers and sisters, and I love them for all eternity. But here's the other reality. We won't always have an opportunity to respond to the Great Commission. We won't always have an opportunity to respond to evangelism. We won't always have an opportunity to proclaim the good news regarding the kingdom, and we won't always have an opportunity to lay hands on the sick and to see people raised. Why? Because there's no dead people in heaven. There's no deaf people in heaven. There's no lost people in heaven. There's no oppressed people in heaven. We are all set free. And so, God is calling His people. God is calling His church to look over the harvest field and be moved and respond to the Great Commission, to respond to the call for evangelism, to respond out of this call of worshiping God and loving people. I don't know about you, but the more I love God and the more I love His people, the more I am moved with compassion for those who don't. In my opinion, Evangelism in its purest form is an overflow of worshiping God. Evangelism in its purest form is the overflow of our worship of God. It's that simple. But the flip side is also true. I've seen how evangelism programs have been derailed because it's not grounded, rooted in the love of God, the worship of God. And so people get all caught up in programs and agendas, and they just lose focus. Well, this thing doesn't work. No, no, no. Just love God. Love God. Let Him capture your heart. Because when you do that, guess what happens? You'll look at the harvest field, and there will be a brokenness inside of you for the lost. Amen? Just to get back to my point. Remember what happened in Isaiah chapter 6? In Isaiah chapter 6, it says this. I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It's a place of God encounter. That's what's happening here. Isaiah is encountering God. I saw the Lord. Jesus saw the crowd. We see the Lord in encounter. We, we meet with the Lord in these, in these encounters when our kids are sleeping and we wake up. We choose to wake up to see the Lord, to be quickened by the Lord. To set us up for the day. Because it's out of God encounters that we're actually effective. We try to be effective, we try to walk in kingdom power, but we neglect the element of encounter. You are not meant to live outside of encountering God. You will be ineffective, you will grow tired and weary. I saw the Lord seated on his throne, high and exalted in the train of his robe filled the temple. Then we see conversation happening between the seraphim and and, and God the, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit and they speak and as they speak what happens? The temple shakes. The temple shook. I believe the Lord is speaking and he's shaking things up. I believe the Lord is speaking. Things have to move. And then the Lord spoke, the Lord declared, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Who shall I send, and who will go for us? This must be one of the clearest divine setups that you'll see in Scripture. You have all these heavenly beings, you've got God speaking, and you've got Isaiah in this this encounter, the only person, And the Lord asks this question, who shall we send? Like like if I was Isaiah, like who else, Lord? (laughs) Is this a trick question? Hey? Like who? Who? Who will go? I guess it's me. I guess it's me. Here's my point. Out of divine encounter, there's always a sending out. Go look at Scripture. Out of meeting with God, out of my love relationship and my worship of God, I cannot help but go out. We can sing until the cows come home and we can have encounters day in and day out. If we are not reaching the lost, if we do not look at the harvest field and are filled with compassion, then what are we actually doing? Amen? Because God encounters are meant not to be dammed up, but are meant to be a river that flows out into dry places. I am an encounter. You are an encounter of God. Why? Because you've encountered Him. Because you've encountered the maker of heaven and earth. And when you encounter the maker of heaven and earth, who are you to say, I'm not doing this? That's what the Lord's saying. The Lord says, I am the one that gave you breath. I am the one that made you. Who are you to tell me as God that you will not worship? I believe the Lord is calling us to attention in three ways from this passage of Scripture, and they come in the form of a question or questions. The first question that I believe God is asking Upper room that you need to ask yourself is this. Is, am I still seeing compassionately? Am I still seeing with eyes of compassion when He saw, when He saw the crowds, He had compassion. We have to choose to look. I'm going to be vulnerable. There's been many a time where I've driven in my car and there's been a beggar on the street standing right next to me. I'm just being vulnerable. And you see it all the time. He's right here, but you choose not to look. When he saw the crowds, he was moved by compassion. Compassion floods into our lives when we choose to look with tender hearts. God upper room, God has called you to live your life with a tenderness of heart. With a tenderness of heart. I think a great test to do, you know when the, when the doctors test your pulse. It's, it's that kind of test. It's the great test to do within your own life, in your relationship with God, is to ask yourself this question. Am I still still seeing with eyes of compassion? Have I still got a tender heart when brokenness and hunger and sin and the need around us? This is the problem. When this brokenness, this need, and the desperation is always around us, the danger comes by the fact that we become desensitized to it. It's just always around us, especially in our nation. There's always need. There's always need. We become used to it. And the brokenness, the need, becomes the norm. No, no, no. The norm is the kingdom of God in you. The norm is the kingdom of God wants to come out of you and touch that brokenness. And touch that hurt. And touch that lostness. The condition of lostness. What does it mean to be lost? It's not knowing where you are or where you are going. Does that sound familiar when you look at today? When you look at this world around us, they were bewildered, harassed, distressed, dejected, helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd. I want to say to you, nothing has changed. The world that we are living in, living exactly like that. We have to choose to live our lives with tender hearts. With tender hearts. We have to choose to look up over the harvest field and not live with the harvest field in our peripheral vision. It's a choice. We live in a world that have led people into a greater sense of despair, that have led a world into a greater sense of lostness, a greater sense of harassment. That's the world that we're living in. And it reminded me of this passage in Zechariah chapter 10. It says this, listen to this passage, the idols speak deceitfully. We live in a world that is filled with idols that are speaking deceitfully over people. And they think they're finding their way, but actually they're just getting more lost. Diviners see visions that lie. There are so many self-made gurus today, and they're just speaking lies. They tell dreams that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore the people wander like sheep oppressed for a lack of a shepherd. That's the world that we're living in today. But God is calling a people. God is calling you and I, you and I, to minister unto Him, to minister to each other, but to minister to the world as well. Second, or, you know, second little test or question that I believe we need to ask ourselves is this. Is what does a ripe harvest field look like? What does a ripe harvest field or a ready harvest field look like? Simple answer. Jesus went proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. What does a ripe harvest field look like? Where there is darkness, that is your harvest field. Where there is sickness, there is your harvest field, Upper room. Where there is brokenness, there is your harvest field. Where there is hurt, there is your harvest field. Where there is confusion, there is your harvest field. It's very, very simple. Wherever we see darkness, we need to, as a church, begin to see those places of darkness as an opportunity to represent the kingdom of light. That's the harvest field. Third question and last question is this, is why are the workers few? The harvest is plentiful. There's great need around us. Every single day, there's need. Why are the workers few? Is it because they are living as distracted as the lost. Yo, Anton, that's a bit of a dig. Who are the workers? You and I. Why are the workers few? Is it perhaps because they live as distracted as those that are lost? Is it perhaps because they don't know that they are the ones that have been found? Freely you've been given, freely go and give. Is it perhaps because they are feeling Unqualified? I think there's 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 truth to all three of these questions, but here's the interesting thing. Jesus says this. He calls his disciples, and some translations put it like this He says, He looked, he was moved with compassion, and then he called his disciples and he said this He said, Pray to the Lord of the harvest to cast out, to send out workers into the field. Who's he talking to? He's talking to His disciples. The very next chapter, what happens? The people that just prayed were sent out. Uh, Did you get that? The very workers that God is calling to pray are the very workers that he sends out. I've got no problem with praying for the harvest field, and I've been to probably 102, 103 prayer meetings like that, where, Lord, we we call in the north, the east, the south, the West, come in to worship. I've been part of the... But that's actually theologically incorrect. Jesus says, pray for the workers to be cast out. And so it's great praying for the lost. It's wonderful. But we actually need to pray for the workers. Who are the workers? Please put up your hand. Hands. So if... And I find it interesting, this word, to cast out workers into the harvest field, is the exact same word that Jesus uses when he talks about casting out the demons. So what, what am I trying to say? He's talking about a forcefulness. He's talking about a kingdom, of, if I can put it, a kingdom aggression as we move out into this world. Not a passivity. Oh, Lord, I'm so broken. and I'm, da, da, da. No, get out. I cast you out in the name of Jesus. Amen? So this is what I felt to do. If you are willing to, to respond to this word this morning, you're saying, Anton, I'm ministering unto the Lord. I love Jesus with all of my heart, brother. I love the church. But perhaps I'm a little distracted. Perhaps I'm feeling unqualified. Perhaps you're feeling unqualified. Perhaps you, you haven't really come to, to this realization that you are actually found. You are found. Do you know that? Melissa, you found, eh? You are found. You are rescued. But I'm struggling. That is you. I want to pray for workers to be cast out. I want to cast you out this morning. That's what I want to do. Like I want Monday morning to go and I want you to live like a kingdom madman or, or woman. ...in the world that you find yourself. Amen? So if that's you. I want to pray for you. Okay. It's just me then. Stand up. <laughs> Father God, you are Lord of the harvest. You are Lord of the harvest. I ask... ...according to your name, Jesus that you would cast us out into the harvest field. That you would open our eyes spiritually to see this harvest field and not just our needs and our wants. Jesus, I pray, we want your heart. Jesus, I pray, we want the fire in your eyes, in our eyes. That's what I pray. Lord, I pray that we would be an unstoppable community, of history makers, as we leave this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Guys, God bless you. You have been cast out.